There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning. You are listening to the Daily Doctrine Devotional. This is a daily podcast designed to teach and preach Bible doctrine each weekday throughout the year. This is Evangelist Tim McVeigh asking you to please let others know about this podcast so that they can subscribe or tune in each weekday. At the end of the podcast, we will provide you with subscription information as well as contact information for our ministry. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. And the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the redeemed. Song of the redeemed. Thank you once again for tuning to the Thursday edition of the podcast. We certainly are thankful for each of you listening. Uh, we are recording this on a beautiful day up here in the state of Maine and looking forward to what the Lord's going to continue to do in the meeting, in the services. And I know tonight and Friday night, Lord willing, we will be at the Egamogan Baptist Church. That's in Sedgwick, Maine. We'll also be there at 10 o'clock and then followed by a church picnic on this Saturday. And then Sunday, we'll be down at the Tremont Baptist Church, which is in the town of Tremont, the village of Seal Cove, Maine. And we'll be there through Wednesday. Each night, we'll be there at 6.30 p.m., Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then we head on to Vermont. We'll update next week about the meeting in Linden, Vermont. And we certainly are thankful for each of you that tune in and thankful for what the Lord is doing in this podcast. We've had many folks reach out to us. Even today, we had some folks reach out to us about previous podcasts. And just the Lord is dealing with folks and showing folks some different things and supporting some things. And one of the things that I, I rejoice in is when... The preaching of the Word of God will change your thinking about something, and God will just show you you've not been thinking right about it. And the reason I rejoice in that is because the Lord has done that so many times for me. He's been so gracious to me, something I just didn't understand fully, something that I just maligned my mind against what should have been thought and could not understand or comprehend. And yet God has been gracious to me to reveal the truth. And God uses men to do that. He used the preaching of the word of God. And so we're thankful for that. We're thankful for those that occasionally are corrected by the podcast. And what a blessing that is and what a joy that brings to our hearts as that has brought me joy so many times in my Christian life. We're in Job 26 today, Job's response to Bildad the Shuhite. But Job answered and said, how hast thou helped him that is without power? How savest thou the arm that hath no strength? So he's responding to Bildad, who, of course, is speaking of that man as a worm. That's a man without power. That's that man that has absolutely no strength in himself. And how has he helped him? That's what he's asking. How savest thou the arm that hath no strength? Now, I think the reference he's speaking of there is that arm of God, that right hand of God in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the position of the right hand of the Father. And he is also the position of the right hand of the Godhead. And we also know that it's the strength of his mighty hand and his outstretched arm. And I believe that's what he's referencing when he says that, how savest thou the arm that hath no strength? When did his arm have no strength? When he was being judged for sin, when his soul was made offering for sin. Uh, the right arm of God, the right hand of God had no strength. Why? Because he was dying a sinner's death. He was condemned with the sinner. Uh, he bare the sins of many. All our iniquities were laid upon him. And so I believe it's what he's speaking of there. And so he's asking Bildad that question. Of course, Bildad is unable to respond to these things, doesn't see what Job is saying, most likely. In verse 3, how hast thou counseled him that hath no wisdom? And how hast thou plentifully declared the thing as it is? 
And then verse 4, to whom hast thou uttered words and whose spirit came from thee? So Job is contending with him over these things and speaking with these things. And he asked that tremendous question. It's something that we could ask many times. And I don't want to sit here and be a critic or uh, be a naysayer. But at the same time, I've seen so many times that folks get up and they utter their own spirit. Uh, They prophesy by their own spirit. And Ezekiel told us in Ezekiel 13, they have seen nothing. What are they speaking by? What's in their spirit to speak? And this is one of the most dangerous things we see because if someone is gifted, someone has tremendous talents, tremendous strengths, they can have great wisdom of this world. And it sounds so eloquent. It sounds so wise. I've heard men get up and take a Greek New Testament and correct the King James Bible. And it sounds so eloquent. They're so wise. They have such so such eloquent ways and things that just come out so natural to them. And people just sit there and swoon over this preaching. And yet the man is saying, no, the King James Bible is wrong. This is what it really means. This is what it should really say. Had a man several years back. It's been four or five years now. And he actually said to me, he said, I do my own translation. And I just had to laugh because probably he couldn't have ordered a cup of ice cream in Athens on a busy street. But he does his own translation. And what he means is he gets James Strong, who was, you know, on the RSV committee, and he goes and gets his dictionary, and he looks up the word. And then he goes to Henry Thayer, and he goes to his dictionary, who is also on the RSV committee, along with Wes Cotton Hort. And he looks up his de- definition, and he looks up the Greek word, and he knows the Greek word there is antawa. And so he begins to, to formulate antawa, and he looks at a similar word. There's something close to that. It might mean zebra. Uh, but it's so similar, so he preaches that. And then all of a sudden, he has this eloquence, and he's talking about the black and white, the good and the bad, and how the zebra is such an emblem of this. And people are just swooning over this filth and swooning over that. Why? Because it's another spirit. And the same spirit that has most of them bound is ministering to them because that's the spirit they have. And that's what Job is contending with, I believe, in this particular place. Is it the spirit of God speaking? We know that God recorded these words. Uh, these words were recorded by the Holy Ghost, and holy man of God spake as he was moved by the Holy Ghost. Elihu is speaking those things, which God has told him to speak. But when Bildad opens his mouth, what spirit is that? And so it is with a lot of us. What spirit is this? My spirit? Am I following my own spirit and have seen nothing? It's one of the, the dangers of preaching dogmatic standards and dogmatic convictions uh, to the point that nobody else can have a voice and nobody else can have an opinion. Because if it's your spirit, you're in trouble. And if people are following your spirit and not the spirit of God, they're in trouble. And that's why I believe that men should have a voice. I believe men ought to be able to speak of those things. Uh, there's battles we've lost today. There's battles we're not getting back. I've, I've used many times up here in the state of Maine, one of those great examples. You go to a, an all-natural a veg- vegetable stand on the side of the road, and they have blueberries and some fresh local vegetables, and they're selling bottles of wine. So do I boycott the vegetable stand? Uh, you know, you go to Walmart, you go to the convenience store, they're selling beer, they're selling wine. Do I boycott the, you know, at some point, some people's standards have changed. Does it make them godless? No. Does it mean they backslid? No, it does not. It just means times have changed around them. There's things around them that are different. I read of the old Baptist having to stay in a tavern. There's no place else to stay in those days. Unless you want to sleep out in 20 degrees in a blinding snowstorm and uh, sleep under your horse blanket outside, you had to stay in a tavern. I've also read stories of those men going to those taverns and preaching and praying. 
It'd be called compromises by some today. But again, we must think through these things. We must have understanding of these things because when a man prophesies of his own spirit and has seen nothing, or he's just taking somebody else's standard and preaching it dogmatically and then trying to enforce that standard on somebody else, it's a dangerous place to be. That's just a little freebie for today. But yet when God shows a man you're not going to participate in this, then he needs to hold to that. And God shows a man you're not going to be doing this. You're not going to be involved in this. You are not going to work in a place like this. You're not going to buy and sell this. You're not going to do, you know, when God reveals that to a man, I've heard of an evangelist who was selling CBD oil. And they were selling CBD gummies on their website, raising money for the ministry. And I know the brother would be all up in arms about that. And then it'll be fall to pieces about that. But there's, you know, you pick and choose those things. And I myself personally wouldn't sell CBD oil or use CBD gummies. I really don't want to get high. I'm not really interested in those things. But it's one of those things. Every man must wrestle through those things. I'm probably a little more outspoken about that uh, because I think there's a lot of foolishness in that. I think there's a lot of a lot of closeness to the world, but it could be 50 years from now. It's so mainstream that you go down to buy Flintstones vitamins for your kids and they have CBD oil in them. That's just where we are. That's the way the devil works. He's continually changing, continually trying to alter everybody's thinking and alter everybody's mind. But we need to know what spirit we're dealing with. We need to know what spirit we're speaking by. He said, dead things are formed from under the waters and the inhabitants thereof. Hell is naked before, and then he says this, and before him, and destruction hath no covering. So now, again, he's changing gears a little bit. He's uh, giving us some instruction because he goes on then. Not only is hell naked, destruction hath no covering, but it's before him. Then he tells us he stretches out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. Well, who did that? Who hung the earth upon nothing? He told us in Genesis 1-2, one of the most well-known passages of Scripture behind verse 1. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And thus God took that void, that, that earth that had no form, that earth that had nothing, it's been hung upon nothing, and God began to shape it as he wanted it. God began to make it what it was going to be. And he hung it, he stretched out the north of the empty place, hangeth the earth upon nothing. Then he bindeth up the waters in his thick clouds. Those are clouds reserved for judgment. We'll talk about that later in the book of Job, those hailstones reserved for judgment. That great water, when the deep opened up in the days of Noah, we see that. And he said, and the cloud is not rent under them. Why is that cloud not rent? Because God hung it. I read one time and did some research on thunderstorms, and there are some thunderstorms five by five miles wide is about the average. They, they, you know, usually at least five miles wide, five miles dip in depth. They usually are more round than they are square, and so you have to understand the circumference and the radius and those kind of things. Some of them can reach up to seventy-five thousand feet in the air. And I was reading about the millions of gallons of water, this the vapor in each of those clouds. And just the absolute weight of those clouds, and even scientists still can't fully understand how it distills upon the earth, how those drops, they try to explain it. And to be honest, if you read it and believe the Bible, they flounder in their explanation because there has to be something holding that cloud up there. If a cloud just fell, it would crush everything. Five by five miles would be absolutely destroyed. But no, it distills upon the face of the earth. The Lord told us that. We'll deal with that later on in the book of Job. How does it distill upon the earth abundantly? That means one drop at a time. By millions of drops, it's just distilling one drop at a time. 
That's why you're not hurt by rain. That's why rain doesn't crush you. It's why rain doesn't, because God had wisdom. God in creation had wisdom of these things. And so that cloud is not rent under them. And then he said, he holdeth back the face of his throne and spreadeth his cloud upon it. That is the Lord's hiding place. It is a thick cloud. He told us that. Over in Psalm 18, the Lord spoke of those things and many other things. But he said that he rode upon a cherub, did fly upon the wings of the wind, made darkness his secret place. Where is that? It's behind that thick cloud. The Lord has hid his face behind the thick cloud. We cannot see him. It's interesting that when the Hubble telescope finally got corrected and got cleaned up and they got the right mirrors and the right programming. The first thing they saw was they saw stars that looked like clouds. There were so many stars, and they said, hey, this, this is just billions of stars, and it looks like clouds. But if you look at the old Hubble telescope pictures and Mata, it just the sky is full of clouds. We just can't see him from Earth. The Milky Way looks like a giant cloud up there. Why? Because God has hit his face. God has used that to separate him from man. He hath compassed the waters with bounds until the day and night come to an end. And so the Lord has compassed those waters. They are bound up until day and night come to end. At that point, everything is going to change. At that point, everything is going to be different. At that point, all things will change, including the waters. And God, we understand, according to the mercies of God, according to the goodness of God, God is withholding that water, but there will be a day when all that's going to change. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astonished at his reproof. He divided the sea with his power, and by his understanding, he smiteth through the proud. And so again, Job is given some understanding, the might of God, the wisdom of God, the understanding of Almighty God. He is a great God, and he is an all-powerful God. And he's just telling us some of the things that he's capable of, what he sees versus what we see, and his understanding versus our understanding. But then it says, by his spirit, he hath garnished the heavens. That's the verse we read in Genesis 1-2. His hand hath formed the crooked serpent. God did all this. This was God's work. Who are we to question God about these things? Can a man be right with God? Can a man be justified in the sight of God? Yes, he can. Can he be clean that is born of a woman? Yes, he can. Why? Because it's a wonderful working of God. How can we call God into question on these things? How can we say God can't when God can Hallelujah. I'm glad God can. Thank God. Can he furnish a table in the wilderness? Yes, God can. Could God make a way out of an un, unseemly way? Yes, God can. Could God take the vilest sinner and make him clean? Yes, God can. Why? He's an almighty God. He's a holy God. And God can. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all the good ever ask or think. He is able. He is a God that can do. He will do. Why? Because when he says it, it's going to take place. Can God really cast Satan, bind him hand to foot? Can God take Satan and cast him into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are? Yes, he can. Why? Because he's God. Is there anything too hard for God? There is not anything too hard for God. And he goes on and says, His spirit hath garnished the heavens, his hand hath formed the crooked serpent. Lo, these are parts of his ways, but how little a portion is heard of him, but the thunder of his power, who can understand? How can we know the might of God? How can we know the strength of God? How can we know the almighty workings of God? Well, there's but one way. Job said it best. It's written with an iron pen and lead. That's how we understand the workings of God. It is through the precious word of God. And you want to find out more about God? You're going to find it in the word of God. You want to find out about creation? You're going to find it in the word of God. To believe God, to understand God, to know God is through the word of God. Join us again tomorrow as we close out the week on the podcast.
There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning, and he longs to return to the Lord, as he cries for forgiveness and mercy. God is waiting. You have been listening to the Daily Doctrine Podcast with Evangelist Tim McVeigh. For correspondence, please contact us through our website and someevangelist.com and use the contact form to connect with us. You may also subscribe to the podcast through our website or search for Daily Doctrine Evangelist Tim McVeigh on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or Amazon. To write to us, please use our church address, which is Manasseh Community Baptist Church, 70 Back Hollow Road, Blaine, Pennsylvania. 17006. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in tomorrow. And remember to look up for your redemption draweth nigh. Now the angels of God are rejoicing for the prodigal child has come home, and the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the redeemed.